Good morning, Parkway Church. How you guys doing today? Good. I am so glad you're here with us as we worship together and as we open our Bibles together. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And whether you're gathered at Parkway Victoria, Parkway Port Lavaca, Lone Tree, or Parkway Online, we say welcome, welcome, welcome. As a church, we're on a journey this year through Scripture. We're walking through the Bible together to learn the story of God, to see the major players in Scripture, to see the theological threads that run throughout the Bible. Today, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. In this series, we're looking at the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And Luke is going to give us a very unique perspective. Luke is a physician by training. Luke is a physician by profession. And so he is going to tell us about the heart of God as we study together in the, the Gospel of Luke. And so if you brought your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. A few years ago, I was really struggling with two things that are very important in life. I was struggling with being able to speak and breathe at the exact same time. And you can imagine in what I do every day, it's fairly important that I can breathe and that I can speak at the exact same time. It was a season where as I would get up to speak, it felt like my lungs would just turn inside out and I couldn't get enough air. It was just, it was, it was rough, really, really rough personally. And so I went to a doctor and the doctor said, hey, um, you need to get some help. And he sent me right over to a cardiologist and said, you could be having cardiac issues because if you can't breathe and speak at the same time, maybe there's something wrong with your ticker. And given my family history, they were a little eager to get me some help. My dad died of a heart attack at 60 and my mom had a triple bypass six months after my dad passed away. And so I go to the cardiologist and they run these tests on me. And if you've ever been to the cardiologist and they run a stress test on you, that's the most counterintuitive test you're ever going to, like, I, I think you might have heart trouble, so let's put you on a treadmill and see if we can kill you. So they didn't kill me on the treadmill, so that was good news. And then I laid down and they, they took a picture of my heart from every perspective. It was, I think I laid down for like 24 minutes it was, it was really uh, like you just had to be still. And I, I'm usually not still unless I'm checking my email or scrolling my phone and I couldn't have that at the time. And so then they say, you got one more test. I think it was an echocardiogram. They said, you need to go in this room and take your shirt off and the technician will come in and take care of you. And they're gonna you know, look at your heart and see how things are flowing in and out and valves and all that stuff. And so I take my shirt off and I lay on the table and the technician walks in and she says, hi. Hey, Pastor Mike. Oh, great. You want your heart rate to climb? Be Pastor Mike when you got your shirt off laying on a table and somebody from the church family is here to check you out. Oh, that was, it's not a pretty scene for either one of us. Why are you laughing? So a few minutes later, the cardiac doc comes in and tells me that I have no uh, issues with my heart or with my arteries. I've got no blockage. I've got no concerns when it comes to, he said, even future cardiac disease, as long as I take decent care of myself. And we celebrated that moment and we said, hey, you must have something else going on with your breathing and your speaking. And so we continued that pursuit. So I'm like, why are you telling us that story today? I'm telling you that story today because when we open the gospel of Luke, what we see from a doctor's perspective is the heart of God on display. What we see is a carefully investigated that was Luke's process for writing the gospel. 
he interviewed people. He interviewed people that were first with Jesus and those that were servants of the word, servants of Jesus. Luke's goal was to give us a gospel that was a, an orderly account of Jesus' life. In Matthew, we saw that Jesus was the promised one of God, right? We saw that he's the one that came to fulfill every Old Testament prophecy. And then in Mark last week, we saw the power of God on display in Jesus and all the miracles. Well, Luke wants to give us an orderly account. And he wants to give us an orderly account for one reason. And in Luke 1, 1 through 4, we see that Luke wants to give us an orderly account so that we will be certain that the story we're reading in the gospel is true. So that we will be certain of God and who he is and what Jesus came to do for us here on earth. And so as we open our Bibles together and we look at the story of Luke, it is a story where God wants us to be certain. Certain of his love for you and for me. This is the story of Luke. I can't believe I'm in front of a crowd. I'm not good in front of people. I've got a pretty good bedside manner, but not crowds. And here I am telling you the story of Jesus. This is a story that I investigated. I poured my life into talking to other people, people that had witnessed Jesus firsthand, people that had come along since then and were devoted to the word, devoted to Jesus. I used everything I learned as a physician to investigate, to dig into, to find the truth so that I could tell it to you. Here I am, a trained physician, telling you the story of a spiritual leader. My parents are so disappointed. All that student loan debt, look at all that I have to carry. And yet here I am telling you about Jesus. And I'm telling you from my perspective, what I see and what I've heard and what I count on personally so that you will know with certainty who God is. The certainty of his love. You see, that's our big takeaway from the gospel of Luke today. That Luke, as he interviewed people, that Luke, as he talked to guys like Matthew, as he talked with Mark, as he talked with other followers of Christ, as he talked with people, he came away convinced that they were eyewitnesses to God's love. And he wants all of us to see God's love through his gospel that he wrote to us. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. He also wrote the Acts of the church. He's the only gospel writer to write a sequel, to write another book. It's because his, his grasp of God's love was lived out in the church. His view of God's love was held by the church and shared by the church with all the world. And he wants for you and me in his first writing to know with certainty that we can trust this story and to know with certainty that we are loved by God. And in Luke chapter 15, if you brought your Bible, you can go ahead and flip there. No Bible, no worries. We've got it up on the screens. It'll also be in your handout we gave you. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus teaches three parables so that we will see the heart of God. Like the docs looked at my heart, he's going to use three stories so that we see God's heart from all perspectives. So that we see God's heart from every angle. 
And we start in Luke chapter 15, and Jesus sets up the scene as Luke describes it. Here's how it happens. Luke 15, verses 1 through 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See, Mike, that sounds familiar to our story in Matthew, where Matthew was following Jesus and through a party and sinners and tax collectors came in and hung out with Jesus and the religious people were upset. It's the exact same issue as the gospel of Matthew. People didn't understand Jesus's purpose. The religious people didn't know why this rabbi, this good teacher, would eat and drink with sinners and with tax collectors. They didn't get it. Jesus knew why he came. In Mark 10, verse 45, it says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, when you realize who you came to serve and who you came to reach, like Jesus did, you're gonna hang out with the right people. Because as we learned in Matthew, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came not for the righteous, but for the sinners and the religious people. I mean, they've got God in their very presence. Jesus is with them. And what's their best response to him? Not to love him and to worship him and to listen to him. Their best response when Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors is to murmur against him to mutter things under their breath. Who does this guy think he is? What's this guy all about? And so Jesus hears their words and comes up with three stories. Master teacher, he used parables, which are small stories that have a point, so that they would know the heart of God and his love. Jesus began with the story, and you can fill in this blank, of a lost sheep. And here's how he tells the story. Luke chapter 15, three through seven. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. But Jesus says, the reason I'm hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners is because they're like the lost sheep. They have wandered off and I'm pursuing them. I'm coming to find them. In a world where the shepherd would be responsible for each of his sheep, all of his flock mattered. And so the shepherd would leave the 99 to find the one because that one matters. In our world, maybe we can't relate to having 100 sheep. Maybe you have four dogs and you wake up one day and that dog of yours has dug out again. You go in the backyard and there's only three left and you're like, where'd the fourth one go? Do you turn and say, well, at least we've got three. Hope that fourth one is okay. No. If you are a dog owner, a dog lover, you're going to make sure your three dogs are safe. And then you're going to post on Facebook, lost my dog. 
Then you're gonna text all your friends, I'm looking for Rover, he dug out again. And then you're gonna drive up and down your streets yelling Rover, 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 Rover. You're gonna pursue that dog. And when that dog comes to you, you find it, you're gonna rub its head and you're gonna scratch its ears, you're gonna let it lick your face, you're gonna celebrate in that moment. You're not gonna throw it on your shoulders, you're gonna throw it in the back seat. And then you're gonna go back and you're gonna take down the I'm looking for my dog posters. You're gonna go on Facebook and say, I found my dog. And all your friends are gonna say, I'm so glad you found your dog. It's so cool you found your dog. Found dogs matter. <laughs> right? That's what's gonna happen. Because one that's found by the shepherd, we celebrate and we party. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees and the religious people and says, you're like the 99 who think you don't need my help, but I'm going after the one who is lost. I'm going after the one who needs to be found. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah predicted Jesus would do this. Isaiah 53, verse six. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of of us all. See, not only did God pursue us by sending Jesus to us, not only did God pursue us by sending his son to look for us, and he didn't call us Rover, he called us by our names. Not only did God send his son to find us, but God took the very reason that we were lost, the very reason that we were no longer a part of his flock, the very sin that separates us from God, God took that from us and laid it on Jesus. He took our iniquity, our sin, and laid it on Jesus. So as you think about the heart of God, if you've ever wondered whether God will leave you or forsake you, he won't. The good shepherd not only promises to never leave you nor forsake you, he actually pursues a loving relationship with you. There's no other world religion, there's no other ology or ism in life where the God pursues man. Every other religion, every other ology or ism is man's attempt to get to God. But as Jesus tells the story of the good, of the, of the, 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 the shepherd looking for the sheep, we see in that lost sheep story that our Savior actually pursues us. If you've never considered the truth of Christianity, let that sink in right there. Only Christianity offers a God who's pursuing us and gave his son for us. Only Christianity says the 99 can stay. I'm going after the one. I'm in pursuit of them. To drive his point home, Jesus tells another story. One sheep was lost in 100, that matters. And the next, there was a lost coin. There was a woman who had just 10 coins and she lost one of them. Let's look at how it plays out in Jesus's storytelling. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So you might not be able to relate to, to sheep, but I'm sure you can relate to silver. Because the story Jesus tells is, what if a woman only has 10 coins 
and she loses one of them. If this is all she has and one of them is gone, is she just going to put the rest in her pocket and walk away? Is she just going to put the rest in her pocket and not pay attention to the, to the coin that was lost? Absolutely not. She's going to look at every corner. She's going to sweep the floors. They had dirt floors, so she had to sweep the floors to see if perhaps the coin had dropped on the floor and was covered in dust. Would they leave one coin lost if they only had 10? Absolutely not. And when you find that dollar, what are you going to do? When you find that coin, what are you going to do? You're going to go tell everybody the coin that was lost is now found. Let's celebrate. And that's a picture of the party in heaven that's thrown every time somebody's made right with God. Every time as believers, as we turn back to God and repent of our sin, there's a celebration in heaven. Every time there's a lost person who believes in Christ for life, there's a celebration in heaven. And that lost coin reminds us that we matter to God. We have value. And as you think about the value you have in God, I want to be crystal clear. We have value in God for two reasons. We have value in God because we were created in his image. As you look at why you matter to God, it's not because you are intrinsically good. You matter to God because God created you in his image. Genesis 1 verse 27. Here's what the Bible says. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When you think about why you matter, it starts at the very beginning of the world. And God creating every man, every woman, every child has value. Because God created us not like Rover. God created us uh, above every animal, above every angel. God created us in his image. So that's why human life matters. The second reason that you can go with confidence living your life knowing you matter to God like a coin that's lost, he will seek to find you, is because you are not only his creation, you are his handiwork. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the Spirit of God lives in you and that he's working on you to make you more and more like his son Jesus every day. Listen to what the book of Ephesians says about us being God's handiwork. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So somehow, some way, the God of the universe loves you so much that he pursues you and he works in you because you matter to him. And it's not because we have got this great value in and of ourselves. We are spoiled. We are lost. We are dead. But in Christ, he pursues us and gives us life and gives us new life and gives us hope for tomorrow because we matter to him. When you know that you matter to God like a lost coin that will never be left, you don't have to live for the approval of man or a woman anymore because you've been approved by God. You don't have to wonder what you're lacking or what you need to feel significant or to feel successful because God has already given you that. 
You were created in his image. You are his handiwork. You are special and significant because of who you are and how God created you. That lost sheep says, I'm going to pursue you. That lost coin says, you matter. Some of you right now are wondering, Mike, are you going to pick up that dollar bill you dropped? (laughs) Yes, I am. As you think about God's pursuit of us and you think about our value before God, we want to share with you a story of some people within our church that have been eyewitnesses to God's love and God's power in their life. It's the story of Jason and Toya Stone and their recent adoption of a baby. They had been down this adoption road before and things didn't go their way. And yet they continued to trust God. They continued to look to God and they saw his love. Let's hear their story together now. Hi. How are you doing, Toya? Great. Jason? This is David, right? This is David. How are you doing, David? David Alexander Stone. David Alexander Stone? We just call him Dave or David. So you guys are here because uh, we wanted to talk to you about being eyewitness to God in your life and and what's what's the story about this child and about this uh, adoption. How much time do I have? How much time? Well, it's really a 10-year story, so um, I'll just stick to highlights, but... And at the age of 23, I was um, diagnosed with endometriosis. And we had really just went to the doctor, not because we wanted to get pregnant or we were wanting to know how to, how to get pregnant with my condition, but because I didn't feel good. And so when I had gotten that diagnosis, um, the whole last 20 years of my life had made sense because I've always just struggled with this condition. So... Um, my doctor at the time had said that that was like one of the worst uh, um, cases of endometriosis he had ever seen, and it had recommended trying to get pregnant within a year or having a hysterectomy. Not because he was feeling doubtful or, or being negative, but um, because he knew I wasn't, my quality of life was not awesome. So uh, we're like, okay, we'll do the, the treatment. and. He was like, now, you know, 8%, it's not effective. And I was like... 8%? Yeah, 8%. Okay. Only 8%, he didn't have... He had like a 92% success rate. So I was like, I'm not going to be in the 8%. <laughs> of course be in the 92 <laughs> But I was in the 8%. <laughs> and uh, in the medical book, there was the, the, the real word failure. And uh, I was like, okay, you know. So I told Jason, well, he only said we have a year. So we did all the treatments, didn't work out, and then we took two years to pray about it, and two years to really um, decide how we wanted to move forward. You know, when you told you can't have babies, you, you want to be able to be in the, in the hospital bed, and I wanted him to hold my hand, and I wanted my little name outside the door, and I, I wanted all of that experience, and I, you know... So, I mean, even with adoption, I knew I wouldn't get all of that, but I would get some of it. So January was really tough. Uh, January 31st, I met with my mentor, and we talked about surrender. And Isaiah 50, uh, chapter 50, verse 7, where it just pretty much says that God is for me, and um, that I, I, he's not going to disgrace me. I'm not going to feel ashamed. 
And Jesus actually then set his face like flint, and that really resonated with me. So I was like, I'm going to set my face like flint, and um, February 2nd, I, I realized what it meant to really surrender in God for the first time. I, I, my walk started with him in 05, and I finally got what it meant to surrender in God in 2018. For whatever reason, I just, God was just really working in me, and I knew that something was coming in February 3rd, so I, I felt restored. I just felt just, I just felt, I just felt different, and that song, So Will I, by Hillsong, like, that, that was brought to my attention. I played it all day, and that's a song about surrender, and I was just like, so will I, and I felt good, and I just felt like I had to get what I needed to get for God to get me to this. So February 3rd, we went to bed, and I was like, going to go to Firehouse Subs after church tomorrow, like, do our normal Sunday routine, like, okay, let's do this. Well, I wake up to a text, and uh, that same beautiful little high school girl had given birth to a baby boy, and... Um, when this girl was going in, into labor and she was delivering him, she actually um, called us by name and uh, told her mom, go call uh, Toy and Jason. And um, so I get this same phone call that's so familiar four years ago, this same kind, and, and I called David and Jennifer and I'm like, you're not going to believe this. Well, the crazy thing is, we get there, and David Maddox is actually uh, the nurse practitioner at that hospital. <laughs> so he was his, so to speak, doctor. And um, the same man and Jennifer who prayed for us relentlessly um, that night in the hospital, we got, we got him when he was just born. And uh, the whole way we were telling God... Um, we can't, we can't afford this. Like, we have nothing. We, we have one bedroom. We don't have anything. I was going to Firehouse Subs. Like, this, like, I quit praying four years ago for a kid. Like, and, and God just was just like, shut up and go. Just shut up and go. So, so we went, and um, I got to experience him making a, a bed in the hospital room. Um, he was really excited about the vanilla ice cream in the nurse's station. So the whole time, was, about your husband, yes, right? yeah, yeah. he's like, go get me some vanilla ice cream. He was all about that. I, I didn't know anything about babies. I didn't know what they, they ate. I didn't know, I didn't know nothing. They, they freaked me out. And, and uh, so, but that, that day, David Maddox came in and uh, he knelt down um, with Jason and I and David. And uh, we just praised God in that because this wasn't supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. I've been praying for this for 10 years. And um, the, the most amazing thing out of that uh, was that the lawyer fees were paid in full. And uh, when we came home that next day, because we were like, we have nothing like God, if you have to provide, you know. And um, we, we walked in the house late that night, and our, our Parkway family um, had... Uh, <coughs> Sorry, I was going to try not to cry, but uh, we walked into our bedroom, and there was a brand new crib stuffed. Um, God, so God, through our, our church family, took care of him uh, for his first 365 days, and uh, we haven't bought a single diaper since we've had him. Wow. So um, that's, that's, that's what God did, and um, 
So I think, you know, through this, I've seen God's power um, in, my, in my weakness, really, and, and, and me not knowing and being unsure and, and all my pain and my struggle, that's where I've seen God's power show up the most. I love that story as we look at Luke 15, because Jesus ends it with the story of a lost son as well. And by the way, Jason and Toy, if you're watching from Lone Tree, Jason, we just want to thank you for all you shared during that video. <laughs> it was awesome. All joking aside, holding David was like a picture's worth a thousand words. And so thank you, Jason and Toya, for sharing your story with us. As we look in Luke chapter 15, we move from a lost sheep to a lost coin to a lost son. A father has two sons, and one comes to him, Jesus says, and demands his inheritance. And so the father gives him his inheritance, and the son goes off and blows it in the worst ways. And when he's at his lowest point, the son realizes that even the servants at his father's house live better than he is. And so he decides to return home. And he doesn't know the reception that will be waiting for him when he returns home. He doesn't know if the father will be welcoming or if the father will be standoffish or if the father won't even allow him on the property. But the son returns home. And as he returns home, the father is looking for him. And he sees him coming down the long road. He sees him on the horizon and the father runs to him. And the father embraces his son. And his son is apologetic. And his son says, I'm just here to be one of your servants. And the father looks at him and says, you're not my servant, you're my son. And he puts a robe on him and puts a, a ring on his finger. Because the son that was lost is now found. The son that was gone is now here. Now, his big brother hears this amazing party going on because when the son that was lost was found, they threw a party they even barbecued for him. And the son comes in from the field, the old son who was always faithful to his father in his opinion. The old son comes and is frustrated. Why does he get this? He left. You never give this to me. And the father looks at the older son and says, you had me all along. And you could have had any of this if you had just asked. And then he shows us the heart of God for people. Listen to Luke 15, verse 32. Like Jesus talking to the Pharisees, the father says this to the older son. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. As you think about how God awaits your return to him and my return to him when I wander off, when I blow it, when I sin, even as a believer. As you wonder how God waits for us, know that he waits to welcome us back. Know that he waits with a Father's heart full of love to welcome his children home. Because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you aren't just his servants. You aren't just his friends, as he says you are. You are also a son or daughter of God. 
And we come to him sheepishly. We come to him fearfully. And he says, come to me boldly. Come to me with confidence because you are my son and you are my daughter. He puts a robe around us. He's forgiven us. He puts a ring on our finger like the Holy, like, like the Holy Spirit lives in us, reminding us that we are his. 1 John 3, verse 1. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, see what, the great, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We have been completely adopted into the family of God as believers in Jesus Christ. You aren't a distant relative. You are his son or daughter. You have been completely adopted. That's why when we see couples adopt babies here on earth, we are inspired by it. We're amazed by it because that's exactly what God has done for us. When we see young couples bring strangers into their home and treat them with love like their family, it's because that's what God has done for us. You have been adopted as a son or a daughter of God. You're a permanent member in his family because you believed in Jesus Christ. That's the great love that he's lavished on us. You're his child. God loves you so much that when you wander off, he pursues you. God loves you so much that he says, you have value to me because you look like me. You were created in my image and because I'm at work in you. God says, I love you so much that when I see you, I see my son and I see my daughter. I see my child. That's the love of God that we get to live with when we say yes to Jesus Christ. That's the heart of God that Luke the evangelist wants us to see. Friends, may we each say yes to the love of God this week. May we each know that we're loved by God and we're valuable to God and that God desires to live with us and walk with us in a loving relationship with him every day. May we see the heart of God and then our heart change because of his love for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and I thank you for how Jesus taught it so clearly. Like a lost sheep, we have all wandered away, and yet you pursued us. Like a coin that was lost and found, we have value. And like a son who willfully left, you wait and you welcome us. You wait and you welcome all who will believe in your son for life. So God, I pray that you would just convince us of your love one more time. May we be certain of it so that it changes our lives. God, to be loved by you changes everything about me. So we pray you would bring that change and help us to live with that change even now as we pray. Church family, as you pray, maybe you need to just tell God, I love you. Maybe you just need to tell God, I'm coming back home. And you confess that sin to him. And he welcomes you. And he cleanses you. And he puts you on a path towards obeying and depending on him. Maybe, church, you just need to say, God, thank you that I'm valuable in your eyes. 
that I don't have to work for the approval of anyone else because you have given me your stamp of approval. As the church family prays, if you aren't a believer in Jesus yet, God's love for you is so clear and that he sent his son. And while we're yet sinners, even when we are dead and broken before God, Jesus died for us. The death that we deserve, he died. And the life that only he deserves, he gives to all who believe. So if today's your day to believe that you're a sinner who needs a savior and that Jesus is the savior of the world, I invite you to believe. The Bible says that Jesus is both savior and Lord and his desire is that you would believe and find life in him and him alone. If today's your day, let's mark it with a prayer. You can pray, Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a savior and that you are the savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. 